0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 14th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. The solution to state-level curbs on freedom may be voting with your feet. So how do states that restrict freedom perform economically relative to more free states? William Ruger is co-author of Freedom in the 50 States, a publication of the Mercatus Center. We spoke following a forum for the report held last week.
1: The states that do well and the states that do poorly are, are going to have, uh, you know, fairly good or fairly bad scores generally across the board. And, uh, uh, or they might have, uh, you know, a couple of different areas where they do extremely well. Uh, so for example, South Dakota, in terms of economic freedom, it's number one. Uh, in terms of personal freedom, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit below average actually, um, but it does so well in terms of economic uh, freedom, which is composed of both uh, fiscal policy and regulatory policy. Um, you know, and you see some states that uh, overall are, are decent, uh, but really struggle, let's say, in, in one area. So Tennessee, for example, is kind of a classic, um, quote unquote, deep red state. It does quite well on economic freedom. It's number six. Uh, but on personal freedom, it's number 39. And, you know, Vermont is, is uh, pretty much, uh, you know, the opposite. You know, Vermont does really well on personal freedom. It's number two. But it's terrible on economic freedom. It's number 44, uh, so it's uh, it ranks uh, at 30 overall. Um, you know, places like New York they just do poorly across the board, uh, and that's one of the reasons why New York is so bad compared to other states. Uh, so, for example, you know, it's number 50 overall. It's the worst state in terms of freedom in the United States. Um, and it does poorly on economic freedom; it's number fifty, and it does poorly on personal freedom; it's number forty-eight. So it goes against that kind of stereotype that these blue states are socially or uh, personally free states, but economically they're more interventionist. Uh, it goes against that stereotype. They're, it's a nanny state all, all you know, all over, all across the board.
0: Tax policy is often quite visible to people, and a lot of these nanny state policies are are also visible. Are there a lot of policies uh, that you get into here that affect people's day-to-day lives, but uh, are not particularly obvious to the people that are affected by them? That is, you'd have to dig into the policy to actually understand what's going on.
1: I, mean, I suppose so. And when you when you know when the average uh, Joe goes to the grocery store or to the package store to get uh, you know some beer or some wine or or liquor. You know, they, they they might not see that the percentage that is uh, that is taxed, and that's going to vary from state to state. Or, you know, when they buy cigarettes, um, uh, or if they, um, you know, what if they're engaging in some kind of consensual activity and, and they're arrested, um, you know, then it might impact you there. Um, you know, or things that affect our politics, like campaign finance regulations. You might not see that uh, in the same way you might see. You know, laws about, um, you know, say, um, you know, marriage blood test requirements where, you know, so many people get married and you have to do this or you don't. And, you know, it's much more obvious or, you know, prostitution laws or gambling laws. You know, lots of states you can't gamble legally. Uh, So you might see that more often. Um, You know, you're not going to, you know, one of the things that's really important in terms of our uh, expenses are uh, health insurance, uh, you know, mandates, mandated coverages. And that's going to add to premiums, uh, and so you won't might not notice it as much. I mean, and there you get into what uh, you know French economist uh, you know Bastiat talked about with the seen and the unseen. So when we think about policies that uh, affect people, we see the policies. We see, oh, isn't that great that this person can get this type of coverage through their health insurance? But maybe we don't see the overall cost of mandating so many different types of coverages. And you know, no one's a, no one's opposed to these good outcomes. It's just how you get there. And, and also an acknowledgement that, you know, as Milton Friedman says, uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Uh, there's going to be a cost somewhere to that benefit. And unfortunately, with the unseen uh, costs, uh, you don't see them maybe, com- or obviously you don't see them uh, compared to uh, the benefits. And so it's much easier maybe to, uh, to try to legislate those types of benefits. Uh, even aside from the whole problem of Baptists and bootleggers, or concentrated benefits, diffuse costs. Uh, um, so you know those are really you know troublesome uh, to the body politic.
0: You list occupational licensing as uh, as one of these important uh, regulatory aspects.
1: Yeah, I mean the I, I guess probably what people think when they think about occupational licensing is well, you know, is my doctor. Qualified and is he certified to be someone who can treat me? We, you know, I don't want someone who uh, has a, uh, a bad past or can't pass some kind of qualification. Um, but you know, actually, those types of uh, situations are are pretty rare compared to all the number of different types of occupations that are licensed, largely for the benefit of people in that category that are currently holding those jobs. I mean, the classic, uh, you know, case of, um, you know, a, a diffuse cost to people who have to maybe pay more for those services because there's less of a supply due to this kind of regulation. Um, but it also hurts people trying to get into those jobs. Uh, That would like to compete with people that are in those jobs, but they can't without kind of crossing these hurdles. Uh, So for example, you know, in in one state, uh, librarians are are licensed. And, you know, you just think of it, I mean, libraries are great things, of course, Uh, they're kind of repositories of knowledge, but, you know, what are we worried about here? Um, that they need to be licensed. I mean, I can imagine that you might want to require a background check for people who are working with children, but that's not what we're talking about here, are we? Um, and so, you know, we worry they're going to misshelve shelve the uh, Milton Friedman tome, uh, you know. So uh, it's a little bit... Uh, Uh, you know, obnoxious, Uh, not to mention all kinds of other things, acupuncturists or massage therapists or, you know, people engaged in uh, landscape architecture. I mean, these things were really worried about the public interest being uh, uh, harmed by unlicensed gardeners. Um, So it's really a kind of form of rent seeking that we see.
0: Do you see a big disconnect between what people say they care about in terms of how free they are, and how the state regulates their behavior, and and the things that actually, uh, in some empirical sense, matter more.
1: Well, I mean, we have this disconnect in our country. Period. About you know, we people say they want to be free, uh, but then they demand you know certain services. But it's just like anything. I mean, uh, we're, we're kind of uh, a lot of Americans are, I would say, kind of politically immature in that they. They want low taxes and high services. <laughs> uh, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. You can't get that. And and I guess you, know, you might see some of that in in various states. But you know, James Buchanan, uh, the Nobel Prize-winning economist uh, who teaches uh, over at George Mason. I mean, he has a, he had a really interesting paper, and he you know, he asked whether people actually wanted to be free. Um, you know, do pe- people want the nanny state, or do they want to be free? And you know, I think a lot of people in this country, uh, you know, do want greater government involvement. Um, however, there are a lot of people as well that are trying to move to freer states, and that's one of the big findings of our study, is that you see uh, freer states, uh, even controlling for climate and cost of living, freer states are attracting citizens, people who pay taxes to create, uh, you know, that governments, uh, you know, need to fulfill those uh uh, their policies, they're, these people are leaving those states and, and they're going to freer states. And that's not just true in the economic realm, it's also true in the personal realm. Uh, so people are attracted to freer places in general, which suggests something good about, about at least a certain class of Americans that they are willing to move. Even if Jim is right, uh, which I hope he's not, but sometimes you fear, right? It, you know, when Get my government off my you know, social security, you kind of wonder. But uh, nonetheless, I mean I think this shows that in people's you know at least in some people's you know revealed preferences, they're voting with their feet to freer places.
0: there are a lot of places that pay excellent wages that uh, in part are paying excellent wages because it's a very it's very difficult for them to attract workers, which uh, can serve to you know, prevent a lot of industry, a lot of uh, new development to come into your area. Is that something that uh, businesses are aware of in terms of this kind of uh, measurement of freedom?
1: Yeah, sure, sure. Um, but it's also the case that people might have to pay you more uh, in places where the cost of government is high. You know, for example, you know, if I wanted to move to New York... I would demand a much higher salary and they would have to provide a much higher salary to attract me simply because I know my overall cost is going to go up because of these tax burdens. Um, But it's also because in the personal area, there are certain places in this country that I personally wouldn't want to live. Now I'm not maybe the average person, but a lot of people would look at a place, you know, like Massachusetts or New York or California and say, you know, I'm, I want to be a small businessman. I just don't want to have to put up with that hassle that I know about, uh, you know, for either from the media or trade groups, um, or in the personal realm. You know, I don't want to live in a place where I can't, uh, you know, get the donut I want because of trans fat bans, um, or, or places where uh, the taxes are high on uh, cigarettes. Now I'm not a smoker, but some people that's a that's a big part of their life, uh, and they're gonna, and they suffer from that because someone else has made the decision that what they're doing is uh, not as acceptable to them uh, as uh, as other things.
0: William Ruger is co-author of Freedom in the 50 States, a publication of the Mercatus Center. You can watch Cato's forum last week on the report at cato.org.